Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, for the dimension of revelation this morning. I thank you, God, that we cannot leave the same. Lord, even as it was for Stephen, where it says in Scripture that they could not resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke, I thank you, Father God, that there will be no resistance to this message. I thank you, God, for hearts that are open, malleable, willing to change. Holy Spirit, you are a teacher. We open ourselves to you. Thank you that it will not be information. It will be revelation that transforms lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Praise God. Well, it's such a privilege being here and having this opportunity to share with you. I, I want to share with you that God really touched me as I was preparing this. I've been a Christian since about the age of 12, radical for Jesus. I'm turning 41 in a couple of months. You can start saving for that, setting aside cash. <laughs> hint, hint, nudge, nudge. No. Um... And I was sharing with my wife that as I was preparing this, something shifted in my heart. And I'll share this message probably in three parts. It's still part of personal revival. But I'm really believing God that something will also shift in your heart. I want to speak on a subject that has not been spoken of much in the body of Christ, I believe. It needs to return. I want to speak on a message which was central in scripture, but has been twisted by many people. But if you receive it with all your heart, you'll never be the same again. Are you expectant this morning? The title of the message is Understanding Holiness. Understanding Holiness. Understanding Holiness. And as I share this with you, I want to start off by talking about God's holiness. Because we cannot walk in holiness until we have a revelation of God's holiness. And then we will talk about our response to the holiness of God. If you can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll be looking at verse 15 to 17. This is our anchor scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. But just as he who called you Who's been called here? But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here. In reverent fear. You see, true holiness cannot be your own fabrication. Yeah. 
The Bible here says, so be holy just as God is holy. So the type of holiness we're talking about is God's holiness. You see, there are a lot of counterfeits to true holiness. Legalism is a counterfeit of true holiness. Legalism is where I believe I can create laws for myself and based on my own righteousness, God accepts me. That's a counterfeit. And it's not what we're talking about today. I find it interesting when you hear Peter talking about holiness, reinforcing it in the New Testament. You know, there's some Christians who think holiness is an Old Testament thing. But he's talking about it in the New Testament and he's quoting the Old Testament. So he saw something in the Old Testament and he felt it was necessary and it was important to reinforce it in the New. To me, that says it's an important subject. So let's look at what he was quoting. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 to 45. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I'm holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, and then it comes up again, be holy because I'm holy. Leviticus 19 verse 2. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. We're not talking about being puffed up with self-righteousness. We're not talking about a holiness that stems from pride. We're talking about be holy because I am holy. So we can only walk in true holiness when we have a revelation of the holiness of God. So it's a scripture we can't ignore. And so I want to start off with definition. In the Greek, the word holy is the word hagios. We like to spell it H-A-G-I-O-S. Hagios. That's the word that is used in the New Testament, in the Greek. And the interesting thing about this word, hagios, it's not a description of God where you can put it on a list of attributes of God, like other attributes. It's not like, okay, God is kind, God is merciful, God is holy, God is... Amen? There are a number of attributes... That go into his holiness. Are you following? Because you see when you look in scripture. When we talk about that word hagios. It literally means set apart. That word hagios means separate. That word hagios means the otherness of God. That word hagios means cut. When something is literally cut. It's cut off something else. It is separate. It is different. That's the word holy. And what is interesting is when we're talking about the holiness of God, we're not just talking about how God is different, but we're talking about He's different and He's way, 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 way above. So it's a difference that is greater. When we, when we say scriptures like, Lord, your ways are above our ways. Right? When we, when we say your wisdom is way above our wisdom. 
When we declare that, we're acknowledging his holiness. Is that clear? So the word holy in scripture is set apart by God or for God. So when someone says, I want to walk in a new dimension of holiness, they're talking about being set apart by God for God. How many of you know that the result of that is you become his chosen treasure? When God looks at you, he says, this is my chosen treasure. This is my chosen possession. And someone who walks in the fullness of that is walking in holiness. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Right? So it's speaking of being set apart. It's speaking of other. It's speaking of different. It's speaking of unlike the world. Unlike the world. So when we look at the scripture, when Peter is saying, be holy because I'm holy, talking about God, right? And then he he says, be holy in all you do. Holiness is not something that is compartmentalized into some corner where we've got the holy walk in church. Hello, my brother. Are these your children? Oh, they look so cute. I am holy. No, we're not talking about that. Amen? We're not talking about that. We are talking about be holy in all that you do. So when you are set apart by God for God, everything that you touch, everything that you say, your whole being, everything about you, shows that you're a chosen treasure of his. You see, holiness manifests in our businesses, in our families, in our marriages, in our thought life. Amen? Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. Has God given you a revelation of his holiness? You see, when someone walks in a revelation of God's holiness, it means that my mind is not something that's being driven by itself. It means that I have the mind of Christ. It means that I yield myself so that my mind is renewed by his words. So that I begin to think his thoughts. When you walk in holiness, it means that your eyes don't just see what they want to see. But you become like Job, where scripture tells us that he made a covenant with his eyes. My mouth doesn't just speak what it wants to speak, but like Jesus He says, guys, I'm not just speaking for myself. I'm taking from what the Father has given me. Then he says, the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. But he will not just take from himself. He'll take the words from the Father and give them to you. Your mouth, the words that come out of your mouth, show that you're his chosen treasure. Isn't that powerful? My heart is no longer my own. The Bible tells me in Proverbs 4 verse 23, guard your heart for from it flow the issues of life. I've yielded my heart to the Lord. Why? It belongs to him. I've been redeemed. I was bought for a price. My feet, wherever I go, it's not up to me. I have to consult with him. Why? He directs my paths. The Bible tells us that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. You see, when you begin to look at holiness from that angle, you start seeing that holiness is less about discipline. I didn't say there's no discipline involved. But holiness is less about discipline and more about relinquishment. What is relinquishment? It's where I let go of control. Why? The holiness in your life, the holiness in my life is based on the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when I then say, 
God, I am letting go. Let the Son of God be made manifest in my life. Let His holiness be my driving force. Everything changes. And that's why when you're a control freak, that's why when you always need to be in control, when you strive, there's no holiness. There's no holiness. You see, God looks at us and he's just thinking, man, I want to do so much in and through your life, but you're not letting go. You're not getting off the driving seat. I want to do so much. The Bible describes God as a jealous God. It says, I am the Lord and I am jealous. And you look at that and you think to yourself, but surely jealousy isn't a good thing. Is jealousy ever a good thing? It's good if you're a perfect being. I was meditating on this. I was like, okay, God described himself as, I'm the Lord and I am jealous. He can be because he's perfect. Because you see, when you and me are jealous, it's problematic because our jealousy is from a place of insecurity. Our jealousy is from a place, like with many people, of lack. Where we haven't got an abundance mentality and we start thinking, ooh, I would love that. But God is God by himself. God is complete in and of himself. And so the nature of his jealousy is, man, you're my chosen treasure. And because I love you, I want all of you. Because I know that's what's best for you. That is love. But you see, if he was saying, oh no, I don't want to be jealous. Let him do his own thing. I just don't want to be jealous. That's not love. Amen. You see, holy is foreign to the English language and also many other languages. So, because often when people talk about holiness, they think holiness is the same as purity. How many of you thought that? When I said, I'm going to talk about holiness, and you have purity. If you look in scripture, you have primary definitions of things, but you also have secondary definitions, don't you? Purity is a secondary definition of holiness. I was studying this and I saw that the words... The word purity, it actually comes from the same root as that hagios word, but it's hadnos, right? It comes from the same root, right? Purity is an aspect of holiness, but purity doesn't fully describe holiness. Amen? That word, when we're talking about the holiness of God, it's reserved for him. It's reserved for him, his otherness. And we shift away from the holiness of God when we begin to put other people onto a pedestal and acknowledge their otherness. You see people with idols. Literally with idols. I'm talking idols where we see this person, we're intimidated by them, we've placed them in a place where God should be. I find it very interesting because when you study this thing we're calling holiness, it's interesting because it's about being awesome. You know? It's about being awesome. And when we look at God, we're filled with this awe. And we're just blown away and we're ruined in his presence. And I find it interesting as I was studying this that, you know, the Emperor Augustus, talking about Augustus Caesar, okay, he was also given that title because Augustus actually means that. It's talking about awe. And Christians in those days would not address him as such. Because that awesome nature 
is only attributed to God. Isn't that interesting? So my question to you this morning is, when we say God is holy, God is other, God is higher, weren't those songs also appropriate? Thank you, Ben, for singing those songs. When we acknowledge that, is there anything in your life right now that you're placing there? You see, when you have a revelation of God's holiness, you don't place anyone else there. You don't place them on a pedestal. Those you respect and admire, they're only admired in the context of gratitude. God, we thank you for the gift you've placed on that person. We love that. So God gets the praise and he gets the glory. Amen? He's a jealous God. He's a jealous God. Avoid using terms like, oh, that was divine. Oh, how was that food? Oh, it's so divine. Why do we say that? I've never got that. Please, can someone help me with that? Why are we calling things divine? Honestly, pudding has become divine now. When we talk about divinity, we're talking about godness. Oh, how's that, how's that ice cream? How's that chocolate? Oh, it's so divine. And it's in our culture, isn't it? It's in our culture. Right? When we speak of holy, it speaks of awe-inspiring. How could they have said that to Caesar? You're awe-inspiring. No, only God is. Are you getting this this morning? My friends, when you meet with God and you experience Him in all His holiness, in all his awe-inspiring nature, you are ruined. Isaiah said, I'm undone. You know that word undone, what it means? It means that. To disintegrate. To disintegrate. You know that your body right now, it's one, hey, one piece. When we talk about being undone, it means you're dismantled. And you see, in this day and age, Often during times of so-called worship. Often during times of listening to Christian music. People are moved by the soul. In the, within their soul, they're moved and they're touched. And they say, oh, that is just, it felt so good. No, what happened was your soul was touched. And the goosebumps were from feeling good. But I want to tell you something. When the glory of God pitches up. And I don't know how many of you have experienced it. But when the glory of God is in our midst, we are undone. When this God who we are saying is great, he's mighty, he's awesome, and he's awe-inspiring, he's other, when he walks into the room, we cannot be the same. In the early church, it's very powerful because the, the apostles were doing miracles, it says, and everyone around them was filled with, they were filled with awe. There's someone who knows their Bible. It says they were filled with awe. There wasn't what happens today where there's this casual sort of like, hey, ooh, Jesus is my girlfriend songs. Woo, woo. <laughs> like, what, what's that all about? You know what I'm talking about. Huh? Not in this church. We're careful about that, okay? I'm just talking about... When you come to a service, when you gather with the saints to worship God, our Father, I want to ask you a question. Are you looking to be entertained? 
Because you see, when the glory pitches up in times of revival, we're not needing to hang out for entertainment. We are undone. It reminds me of a guy some years ago, I was asking for feedback uh, from guys in a particular church we were pastoring. And I was like, hey, so guys, what can we do differently in our services? And the one guy made me laugh because he said, you know what, uh, Pastor, my concentration span is not that long. So I was just wondering, um, maybe we could have like a commercial break in between. And so, you see, we've come to a place where we can watch rugby matches for how long? Soccer matches, which are even longer, and we are glad when it goes into extra time and it goes into penalties because we can watch more of the soccer. We can watch Suits or Fixer or Scandal. I don't know what you guys watch. <laughs> Concentrating, they're glued, glued like this. Your wife is trying to talk to you. You can't even hear her. But when we come to church, if the pastor or the person preaching preaches just goes over 45 minutes, over one hour, for some people, after 15 minutes, you've lost them. After 15 minutes, they're already. I'm telling you, your concentration span when the word of God is being preached, when the glory of God is present, is a reflection. Of where you're at in your heart. I'm telling you that right now. Because you see. If, that, if, if you have a problem with concentration. In general. Then I understand. But if you only have a problem in concentration. When we're now saying. Let's press in. Let's do another worship song. Let's do Ignite. Let's go deeper. Then you've just displayed. Your spirituality. Or the lack thereof. Amen. Okay. Luke. Chapter 9. I want to show you some examples in scripture of when God pitches up. Luke chapter 9 verse 28 to 36. See, when we meet God in this way, it's traumatic. It's traumatic. I want to encourage everyone in this church, begin to press deeper. Begin to press deeper into Jesus Begin to say, God, I want to see you. God, I want to experience you. God, reveal your holiness to me. <clears throat> Are you there? We're talking about the transfiguration here. It says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him. It's interesting that he just took the three. Didn't take everyone. With where God is taking us and with what he wants to do, not everyone goes there. Not everyone goes there. But everyone can if they want it. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, I want to tell you there's certain things which will only happen when you're in prayer. There's certain things that also only happen when we're together in prayer. Yeah. There's certain things in the spirit that only happen when we're together in prayer and worship. I'm saying that. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor 
talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Let's just pause there. <laughs> Could it be that people are seeing visions? Could it be that right now people are experiencing angelic visitation, but when it's spoken of you, it said, but mache, fill in the blank. <laughs> but quintum, fill in the blank. What will be said of you? But this is what I find interesting because I see this happening in the church. Because he was sleepy. We're talking about revival, aren't we? Okay. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, like some of you are becoming, they saw his glory and two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, now some of you are very action orientated. And so you experience, you see the glory. You see what's going on. And you get into action mode and you do the wrong thing. Just watch this. It says, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Does that say that in your Bibles? Right? In brackets. He didn't know what he was saying. You see, sometimes we're too quick to speak in the presence of God. Sometimes we're too quick to start getting into our default action mode, but then we don't know what we're saying. You see, you can come into God's presence, you can experience His glory, but still be in the flesh. Still not know what you're saying. You look good and organized on the outside, but from heaven's perspective, still not know what you're saying. Now, I find this very interesting because at this point, Peter had experienced something, he had seen something. And there are times when we experience a visitation, we see a vision, but you know that even with that, we can still actually be quite casual. But there's another dimension and I want to show you what ends up happening because it looks to me like the gears were shifted at this point. It's one thing to have a vision. It's another thing for the glory to descend and for you to be undone. Because Peter is quite calm right now, isn't he? He's moving around, action-orientated and so on. Now watch what happens. It says here, while he was speaking. While who was speaking? Well, the guy who didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. I'm believing God for that, for us here. A cloud appeared and covered them. And they were? They were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is the mystery. This is the paradox. Because we want to experience his glory. We praise him, God, let your glory come. But when God's glory comes, we tremble. When God's glory comes, we are undone. How many of you like horror movies? Don't be shy, just put your hand up. Not saying I endorse it and so on. I know some strong Christians like Sean Roberts, they like horror movies. It's okay, we love them. Okay? I'm seeing my label slightly raising a hand too. 
Have you noticed that people who like horror movies, they're scared when they're watching them, but they want to watch them. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like, and you say, so go and sleep, so go and relax. Hello, what's gonna happen? The glory of God can be a bit like that. We want it. But my friends, when God walks into the room, you won't be chilling casually, just saying, your rhythm and all your nice fancy stuff fades away and you are flat down on the floor. Why? You're undone. And you see, we have to be undone in order for God to rebuild us. And I believe God right now is in a season of rebuilding his people. He's in a season of rebuilding his people. Some of you got born again. You understood, oh, okay, yes, I must set Jesus into my heart. But your driving force is still your own natural talent. Your driving force is still your own morality. But when Paul speaks, he talks about a righteousness that's from God. A righteousness that's in Christ Jesus. Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. It's a completely different thing. Amen? And I believe God is taking us to that place. But when you're in his presence, my friends, you forget about your talents. Why? There's the otherness of God. You don't even think, there's no room for you to think about how clever you are because you're meditating on the cleverness of God. Amen? You see, if my focus is I'm consumed at all times by God's otherness, I'm consumed at all times by how great and mighty he is, there's no time for me to be consumed by my own greatness. There's no space anymore. When you see those guys, those rappers, and all those people who keep talking about how great they are, that's an example of not having revelation of the holiness of God. Now watch this. It says, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. There's some things you'll see in the spirit. There's some encounters you'll have with God that it's very difficult to talk to people about. The fear of the Lord will be so strong on you. You want to guard it. You want to preserve it. It's not something where it's just like, oh, look what happened to me, guys. Okay, then next week at church you're announcing, and then guys, this happened. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. I'm believing God that there'll be a hunger that will begin to rise up in this church for his glory. For encounters with the living God. Everything changed for, for Peter. Was so active trying to do all sorts of things. When the voice of God spoke the glory. And Peter who naturally would have spoken about it very quickly. It's like, hey, hey guys. It was another level. <laughs> Let's have a look at Revelation chapter 1. Verse 17 to 18. 
I want to show you another scenario. This is John the Apostle. It says, when I saw him, when you, when you saw who? Jesus. I fell at his feet as though dead. I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. And what I find interesting is I was looking at this and I was saying to myself, these guys had these experiences. Peter had this experience. How did it change Peter? Well, he's the one I quoted in my, my opening scripture. He's the one who was saying, guys, be holy as I'm holy, says God. But he had an encounter. John, if you, if you look at John's epistles, if you look at 1 John, you know, 2 John, 3 John, and so on, and you look at how he speaks, and you look at how he talks about sin, and you look, you look at how he talks about those who continue in sin, and you look at the revelation he had about the holiness of God. And then you see this experience he then had. You start seeing that these guys had encounters with God's holiness. I like something that the great reformer John Calvin said. said, hence that dread amazement with which as scripture uniformly relates. Holy men were struck and overwhelmed whenever they beheld the presence of God. Men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. Men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. You know what the problem we have in our nation right now? We haven't contrasted ourselves with God's majesty. We've become so puffed up in our own economy, in economics, our own wisdom, we say this is how we solve the problems in our nation. We've been so proud in terms of our academic excellence and failed to regard the majesty of God. Many of us in this room right now are regarded as intelligent people. I'm looking around, I'm seeing distinction, straight A's people. I can see them. I can call them out by name. You know who you are. But guess what? In comparison to God, yeah. we're completely clueless. Yeah. Clueless, 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 clueless. Now, when I meditate on God's holiness, and when I'm more God-conscious than I am self-conscious, I will walk in that posture of brokenness because I'll measure my intelligence in comparison to His. Are you hearing me? You see, many of you become proud because you measure your gifts in relation to other people. But when you recognize yourself in relation to God, when you focus on His otherness, you're undone. You're like, I'm nothing. You're like, woe is me. Preaching about holiness like I'm doing right now doesn't mean I'm holy. Amen? Doesn't mean I'm holy. Because my holiness is not in comparison to other people. My holiness 
is in comparison to God's holiness. And I start recognizing that I need His holiness. I cannot manufacture my own. Are you hearing me this morning? So why is there so much pride and self-reliance today? Men are not contrasting themselves with the splendor of God's holiness. The fear of the Lord is not before their eyes. If you look in scripture, there's a verse in scripture, there are a number of verses where where it describes the fear of the Lord. And it uses an interesting term. It says, the fear of the Lord is not before their eyes. Have you seen that before? And the fear of the Lord is not before their eyes. And I looked it up to see, like, what is that speaking of? What does it mean? Where it says, not before their eyes. And it's talking about your mind's eye. It's talking about what you can see, how you see, the lens through which you see. Amen? And you see, it's important for us to wash ourselves with his word so often and to meditate on his holiness so that the fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord is always before our eyes. You see, when you're set apart, you end up living as a foreigner, as stated in Peter's exhortation. He says, live as foreigners in reverent fear. If I walk into your house today, will I see that you're living as a foreigner in this world? Will I see that there's something of kingdom culture in your house where it's like, uh-uh, the way these guys think, the way they make their decisions, the way they spend their money, this is from somewhere else. How many of you have traveled the world or gone to different nations and you literally are like, this is different? How many of you have experienced that? How many of you have met people from other nations and you're like, and the first time you meet them, it's like, this is different? And I ask you a question, when people look at you, are you trying to be like the world? Or is there something about God's holiness on you? And I'm talking about Christian weirdos. That's, that's manufactured holiness and legalism that puts people off. If you look at the holiness of God, the Bible describes God talking about the splendor of his holiness. It talks about God in holy array. It talks about, in the King James, it uses the word, the beauty of his holiness. God's holiness is attractive. God's holiness is attractive. You look and you're just like, wow, this is just awesome beauty, splendor. When we walk in God's holiness and people look, they're filled with awe, but at the same time they're drawn to it. John chapter 17 verse 6 says, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. In other words, they don't think like the world. They don't conform to the pattern of this world. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So if you look at areas in your life today where you say, but this is just like the world. The way I go about my marriage or my relationships is just like the world. The antidote for that is sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify is the word hagiazo. It could literally be holify. We just didn't make that an English word. Does that make sense? Okay. Jesus, here, he said he's praying. 
This is John 17. He's praying and he's saying, Father, make them holy by the truth. As long as you're believing lies, you won't be sanctified. As long as you're believing lies about yourself, lies about God, lies about how the world works, lies about other people, you won't be sanctified. You won't be made holy. Holiness is a progressive thing that we experience. We get saved, we get born again, but then we go through a process of sanctification. How do we go through that holifying process? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. As Jesus is praying to the Father, he emphasizes our foreignness even further. And this is the tension that we live in, isn't it? Is that tension of we want to be holy, but at the same time we want to be relevant and reach the world. It has to be the holiness of God. It can't be self-righteousness. It can't be legalism. Amen? Legalism is counterfeit holiness. You know that if I try to be holy in my own strength, my flesh will just manifest in self-righteousness, in pride. And even though I'm maintaining this facade of holiness, God will resist me. Because the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So one of the things the Lord showed me was that the holiness of God starts in your heart and has brokenness as its foundation. And whenever you see these people in scripture experiencing the holiness of God, having an encounter with the living God, there's a brokenness. There's a disintegration. They end up undone in God's presence. And it's necessary so that God can remold us. I want to give you another scenario. Isaiah chapter 6. We know this one, don't we? Let's have a look at Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1 to 8. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now when you see God, how do you see him? High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now we see also in the book of the Revelation the same thing, don't we? Holy, Holy, Holy. Now remember in English when you want to emphasize a word, what do you do? You put it in italics, don't you? You put it in bold. You underline it. But if you look at the ancient Hebrew people, mainly in poetry, when they wanted to emphasize a point, they would say it more than once. That's why Jesus would say, Verily, verily, I say to you. Okay, that's King James lingo. Truly, truly, I say to you. He was basically saying, Guys, listen up, this is important. But now here we see it, triple. Hey? Triple. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It doesn't say purity, purity, purity is the Lord. Because purity doesn't encompass the fullness of God's holiness. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And I find it interesting because you see Isaiah's response. 
At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. So even inanimate objects responded. Things that were not living responded. My question to you this morning is how do you respond to the glory of God? When God pitches up, what is your response? You see, what happens is many people are indifferent to the presence of God. Many people are indifferent to the presence of God and there are consequences to that, by the way. But I find it interesting that here we see a situation where even the doorposts and the thresholds are shaking and the temple was filled with smoke. And the response from Isaiah, the first thing he says was not, Hey Lord, thank you that I qualify for your glory. Thank you for this vision. Yes. He didn't do that. The first thing Isaiah says is, Woe is me. Woe is me. You know the word woe is a very strong word, my friends. Isaiah was speaking judgment over himself. Do you know that word woe? Do you remember when Jesus would say, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. You'll go down to Hades. Jesus was cursing those cities. We know that, don't we? And we know that those cities are in ruins today. Some people think, oh, in the New Testament, there's no, cities cannot be cursed. My friends, things that are happening in a lot of cities around the world, very often it's due to being indifferent when God pitches up. Because Jesus, when he was talking and he said, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, I find it interesting because he said, if the miracles that had been done in these cities, and you understand the way it was set up in those times, there's what they call the evangelical or evangelistic triangle. And you had Capernaum, you had Chorazin, you had Bethsaida. They were like that, right? And there were Jewish cities, and Jesus did most of his miracles there. But the guys weren't responding. They were indifferent. And based on that indifference, Jesus said to those cities, woe to you. Could it be that today in South Africa we've become indifferent to the otherness of God? Could it be? Could it be that we come to church, we're exposed to his glory, we hear messages being preached week in, week out, but we're indifferent? And we're not pressing in deeper? Could it be? My question to you is, what would be the consequences of that? So Isaiah here says, Woe to me, I cried. He didn't get up and start saying, Guys, did you check the vision I saw? I don't know any other prophet who's checked this out. <laughs> His response to God's glory was, Woe is me. Judgment on me. And what does he go on to say? He says, I am ruined. I am undone. That literally means to tear apart. And then he goes on and he says, For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. There's a brokenness you have for yourself, but there's also a brokenness you have on behalf of your environment. Where you find yourself weeping because of the state of the nation. Weeping because people have rejected God. Weeping because people who've heard the gospel being preached so many times, people who've grown up in church are rejecting Jesus. And you said, God, God, and you weep. Sometimes I find myself in times of prayer. 
And God will show me faces. People here in church, some of your faces. Some of you who've backslidden and you know who you are. Some of you who like pop in and out of church and are casual about the things of God. Some of you who live double lives. There have been times when I see faces and I'm grieving. I'm like, Lord, Lord, we've rejected you. And it's not a grieving that comes from, they've rejected you. Oh, those naughty people. Oh, those bad people. Those lukewarm people. No. It's God. We've not recognized your otherness. We've not recognized the holiness of God. Someone is getting it this morning. He says, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, which he touched with it. He touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. This has touched your lips. You know that sometimes the spirit of burning has to come upon us to burn up certain things. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? We experience his presence. We experience his glory. We are undone. But as soon as we are undone and we are yielded to him, he comes and he heals us. That's why he's always saying, don't be afraid, it's going to be fine. Don't be afraid, it's going to be fine. He doesn't leave you in that place of trembling. And he says, he heals you and then he commissions you. Because he says, who can I send? Elsewhere in scripture says, those with a broken and contrite heart. I won't despise them. I won't deny them. That's what God can work with. And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a powerful picture? Here's the principle. True ministry is birthed in brokenness. There are a lot of ministries today that are birthed in selfish ambition. There are a lot of ministries today that are birthed in pride and arrogance and self-righteousness. And I'm God's man of power for the hour and I'm going to solve the problem. But true ministry is birthed in brokenness. So my question to you this morning is, what is your response to the holiness of God? And have you allowed yourself to be in his presence, but be in his presence as someone who's undone, someone who's ruined, someone who says, God, by myself, I cannot do this thing. Have you then allowed him to bring healing to your life and restore you and rebuild you? And then when he says to you, I now want to commission you, what has been your response? What has been your response? Amen. What I'm going to ask us to do at this point, I want to do something very powerful. And before Martha starts playing, I'm going to do something. We're going to do the altar call just now. But I just want you to respond. And obviously, I'm a, how many mic assembly fans do we have here? Okay. Just a couple of hands went up. You'll be a fan just now. Okay. Um, in the 90s, there was a song that came out by Scott Underwood back in the vineyard days with the guitar and so on called Holiness. And the cover was done some years after that by mic assembly, um, Stampley. And I just think it's extremely powerful. And as, as you hear him singing this, you can sing along if you want to. 
but really allow God to minister to you and to give you a revelation of His holiness. Can we do that? Okay? And then I'll do the altar call afterwards. Brokenness, brokenness, it's what I want. 